Welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. Today's show brought to you by Rock Auto. Visit rockauto.com. All the parts Carl will ever need at reliably low prices. That's rockauto.com. And tell them that Locked On sent you. It is grading week here on the Locked On Leafs podcast. If you missed yesterday's show, we did the top six forwards. We went through, did Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, Marner, all the top guys went through, graded them individually. And today we're going to be working on the bottom half of the roster. We're doing the top, the, the, the bottom six. And then tomorrow we'll do the defensemen and then the goalies and coaches on Thursday. And again, management and prospects will be on Friday. So uh, let's get it. Let's get into it. Let's go through the bottom portion of the Leafs lineup, the depth for the big boys. Um, they were there at some parts of the season, gone for others, and completely gone in the playoffs, unfortunately. So um, individually, though, let's see how these guys graded. Uh, this will probably be a little bit shorter than yesterday's podcast if you if you listen to it. Um, just a, a quick FYI, got uh, got a busy, busy, busy night ahead of me, um, but so let's let's get to it. Let's get to Kasperi Kapanen. Will be our first guy who we're going to go ahead and grade. So Kapanen, somebody who I suppose could have been in the top six. Uh, he spent some time in the top six at some points throughout the season. Definitely started there in the top six, and that kind of brings you to my first point. Right? It was a tale of two halves for Kapanen this year. If you think back, and I know it's so hard sometimes to think all the way back to October and what was happening back then. Um, but, you know, he was kind of miscast on that second line with John Tavares and Marner and really couldn't find his game, right? So Zach Hyman out for the first six weeks of the season, and it was thought that Kasperi Kapanen would take his spot on that second line and then try and be a, uh, you know, fill that role. But it just it just didn't work, right? It, it, for some reason, whatever it was, that line just couldn't mesh together, and Kapanen was struggling mightily early on in the season. That whole line really kind of struggling to get their footing early on in the year. And then all of a sudden, you know, he, he ends up going down to the third line and him and Kerfoot build this chemistry, this good bond. Um, and they had a shift in his game at some point throughout this year too to kind of become more of a complete player, right? Like he was dropping the mix, Kasperi scrapping in. Like he was out there, you know, he was, he was going into the corners. He was utilizing his speed to create some offense. You know, things were going good for Kapanen once he kind of figured out that he needs to be a little bit more like more like a Hyman and less like a Nylander and a Marner. And I think once he figured that out um, and, and he became, you know, Kasperi Scrappadin, which was a, a nickname that I, I loved that, that was given to him, um, you know, I thought that his season kind of turned around a little bit towards the end of the regular season. And he kind of became uh, a really solid depth piece, right? Like, you think of Kapanen, I think, coming into the year, you expected him to be, uh, you know, a middle six guy uh, who can play up and down your lineup, and that's exactly what he proved to be. And he ended up scoring 13 goals, 23 assists for 36 points in his 69 games. So the offense wasn't quite there for Kapanen this year, which, you know, it's is a little bit disappointing, but... You know, it's not it's not overly bearing when you when you think about what Kapanen kind of became, right? He wasn't uh, at some point this season when he made that shift. I don't think offense was really on his mind, which is fine because that's not what they needed. They needed kind of a scrappier guy who's going to be a you know an energy player who could help out on that third line and then just kind of chip in offensively when he can. You know, kill some penalties. You know, he could play up on the power play on PP two. You know, he was just a, a solid, solid third liner for the Maple Leafs. 
Um, and then the playoffs came around, and, and, and to me, he just didn't have a good playoffs. Um, ended up with two assists on the in the playoffs. He only had nine shots when I was going through, taking a look at, at his stats and stuff, and just kind of seeing, all right, how did he do? Just nine shots through the five games, two of which go to overtime. You know, I, I understand that I I that Kapanen to me needs to be more of an offense or, or a defensive minded guy at this point in his career, or a two way guy at that. But you know, you got to take more than nine shots, dude. Like that's <laughs> you're you're still a really really good good player. And you know, I I felt that there was at times he was also giving up open looks in the playoffs. You know, I can I can vividly remember him coming off the rush. You know, using his speed and then he stops up and does a button hook and looks for for uh, for the trailing man instead of going straight to the net and taking a shot on his own, right? So it was just those kind of failed opportunities which kind of hindered his offense and that whole lines offense throughout the playoffs and and there really wasn't much going on for that team. Um, for the depth at all on this team throughout the playoffs. So, you know, he showed some flashes throughout the season that, you know, he can be a a really solid two-way player, but he still has another level that he can get to. He's got to work on that consistency basis. Uh, But overall, I think Kasperi Kapanen had a pretty decent year. Wasn't great. Wasn't bad by any any stretch of the imagination. You might look at the points and be like, ah, 36 in, in 69 games. I expect a little bit more of, uh, out of that from Kapanen. And yeah, you might expect a little bit more out of him. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, do you really expect more than than a 40, 40 to 50 point guy out of Kapanen? I, I don't know if you really... If, if he can give you more than that, if he can go out there in a full 82-game season and give you, you know, 17 to 20 goals uh, on your third line, kill some penalties, and then he can play up your lineup if he gets some injuries, I think that's what you're expecting out of him. So, Kasperi Kapanen, uh, up and down year, but at the end of the day, I think I gave him a B-. minus. I think Kapanen earned a B-, minus, and it really was just because of that stretch and that mentality change that he had later in the season to kind of turn it on defensively, and it just gave him, you know, gave the Leafs another weapon that they just kind of were missing, another element that they were missing in their game. All right, moving on here uh, to his line mate for a good portion of the season, and that's Alex Kerfoot. Um, didn't have, didn't have a great season by Kerfoot's standards. Um, you know, nine goals, twenty-eight points overall. He struggled to make the adjustment after the trade. From Colorado, and and there's always going to be that stigma, you know, like you're not cadre about him, right? Coming in, having to take over a guy who once scored you 30 goals, you know, he he was a shutdown player, played with an edge, played with some grit, and and Kerfa came in and he just wasn't that, you know, he wasn't even. There's still some people who don't believe that he's a centerman in the NHL. There's a, there's a lot that believe that he's best suited to be a winger in the National Hockey League, and you know he didn't. He, I don't think he he proved that he can't be a center this season, but he wasn't the most effective center this season. Like there certainly were much better third line centers. Um, you know, like he wasn't utilized in a checking shutdown role by any means. So you know, I think Kerfoot, uh, not a great year for him. He was okay in the playoffs. I thought he had a couple of good games, a couple of bad games. Um, didn't provide really any depth. Again, he had a couple of assists in the playoffs. But in terms of a scoring touch, he just wasn't there, right? Alex Kerfoot had a little bit of a, a 
a letdown, I would say, offensively. I think coming in, they're expecting him to probably score somewhere between 15 to 20 goals. And even in a shortened season, um, he still could have got 15 or so, you're hoping for at least, especially since you're, you know, he was the guy who they were slotting in in the Nazem Kadri role and, and just not being able to get there, only getting to nine goals. That's that's not enough for uh, for a guy who, who you expected to to give you a nice boost and, and give you some secondary scoring. He just didn't do much of that. So Alex Kerfoot, unfortunately, um, not not the year that I was hoping. So I got I gave him a C. It was a C. I think that he could do better. But, you know, Kerfoot's not a player I'm married to going forward, especially at $3.5 million. I just feel like you could get somebody who would complement this roster a little bit more, somebody who could play more of a shutdown role. Because if Kerfoot's only going to give you, you know, 10 to 12 goals a year, I, you know, you could get that out of somebody else, you know, who could play a lot more stout defensively. So, uh, Kerfoot, giving him a C. All right, we'll get back to this conversation in just a minute. First, I want to tell you guys a little bit about Rock Auto. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you'll need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. RockAuto.com's catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your car and choose the brands specifically tailored to the prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for the professionals as the do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. Let they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. Moving on to Andreas Janssen. Um, so Janssen, 8 goals, 13 assists, and 21 points in 43 games. Keeping in mind, he had his season uh, shortened with an injury. Um, so he was shut down in February. And this is a guy who kind of played up and down the lineup throughout the whole season. Um, started out the year on the top line with Matthews and Nylander. Played all right. Remember last year, he, he had a really good stretch I think it was like 27 points in a 30-game stretch. And, you know, he had a really, really good season. And there was a lot of uh, a lot of guys thinking that this could be a pretty good season for, for Andreas Janssen. Um, but unfortunately, just wasn't really able to build off of that season. Um, but you know what? I, at the end of the day, you take a look at his numbers. Oh, only eight goals in 43 games. Like, that's... You got to do more than that, especially if you're you're considered to be a top six guy. Now, going forward, I don't know if he's a top six guy, but going into the year, he was. And and I I, I look at that and I say, man, only eight goals in forty three games. Okay, what happened? Well, first and foremost, had a little bit of tough puck luck. Like this is a guy who traditionally shoots. Um, you know, his career shooting percentage is a lot higher than it was this season. You know, his shooting percentage is four point eight percent this year. Four point eight percent. You know, that that's something that definitely hindered his performance, probably got in his head a little bit. The fact that he wasn't scoring, and he was a guy who they were expecting him to score, right? Coming in in a, in a top six role, and he just didn't do it. Um, so 
coming in, ended up getting the one playoff game. Uh, he, I mean, it was one game that he hadn't played since February, so I, I, I'm not really grading him based on his playoff performance. Wasn't bad, wasn't good necessarily. Probably had one of the best chances of the night late in that game, in game five on a two-on-one, and 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 um, wasn't able to get it past the goaltender. But the biggest problem with Andreas Janssen this season is that with him being injured, the team proved that they could be productive without him. And to me, Janssen is now expendable. I would be shocked if he's here to start next season. You know, he's one of those guys who's making $3.5 million for, you know, uh, I think he's got, what, three more years left on his deal. Um I wouldn't be shocked if they try and look to move him out to, to, to open up some cap space. Talked about it many times. It's a flat cap this year, which means in order to create some cap to go free agent hunting, or hopefully you can you can make some decent-sized trades, you're going to have to move out some salary cap. And a guy like Janssen, who, again, I think is easily replaceable in this lineup at this point, at least he proved to be, you know, you got that top six is pretty much solidified, and I don't know if you want to be paying a guy like him, a third-line winger who doesn't kill penalties or really you're not going to use him effectively on the power player or anything. You're not going to utilize twelve or $3.5 million on a guy like that. It's pointless. Move him out and get yourself a guy on the back end with that money who will be a bigger factor on your team. So to me, Andreas Janssen um, didn't have a terrible year, Unfortunately, injuries kind of kind of hindered it. Um, had some some tough puck luck uh, with a very low shooting percentage. But at the end of the day, he lost his job. Right, he lost his starting role up on on the top line with Matthews and Nylander. First, he lost it to 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 Zach Hyman, and um, just wasn't able to get it back. So, I I I, I went and I gave him a C plus. I think C-plus is fair. Like, he didn't have an awful season. He just had an unlucky season. But at the same time, he didn't really do anything to stand out either. So I think C-plus is pretty much where uh, where I think he deserves to be. Okay, Pierre Engvall. Let's, uh, let's get to this one quickly. Okay, 8 goals, 7 assists, 15 points in 48 games. So keeping in mind that Pierre Engvall didn't get onto the Leafs roster until about midway through the season. He was a call-up from the AHL, playing with the Marlies, playing extremely well with the Marlies under Sheldon Keefe. And then actually the game before Keefe got hired, so Babcock's last game with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Engvall got the call-up, and he got to play in that game. Now, he didn't score, you know, played 9 minutes, whatever. He was okay. He was fine. And then Sheldon Keefe gets the job. And right away, Pierre Engvall moved on to the penalty kill. And what does he do? Goes out there, has himself a great game. If I'm not mistaken, I think he scored in that game. If not, it was the second game, and he got a shorthanded goal in either his, his first game or second game with Sheldon Keefe. And I remember him taking a spill when he went to go celebrate. So it was kind of funny. Uh, but, you know, a fantastic start to his career, right? Pierre Engvall, the first 21 games under Sheldon Keefe, Seven goals, five assists for 12 points in 21 games. You know, for a bottom six guy, that's pretty good. Right? That's pretty darn good. And in 82-game pace, so a full pace, that's what? Upwards of 45 points-ish? Yeah, about that. You know, four to five points from a guy who's in your bottom six, you'll take that every year. And then something happened. (laughs) 
the next 26 games of the season, he went dead silent. One goal, two assists for three points. But one goal over the final 26 games of the regular season. Completely held off a score sheet in the playoffs. He was even scratched in game one. Freddie the Goat ended up getting the start in game one. So Pierre Engvall, you want to talk about a guy who, you know, who came on the scene hot with the new new coach, had a lot of faith in him because he knew him well. And then something happened, and here's what happened. The first 20 games or so of his career, he's playing the wing. And then at some point, Sheldon Keefe tried to move him into the middle and be a fourth-line center. And that's when his play started to fall off drastically. Right? So in those games that he fell off, the final 20 games of the season, where he only got three points, one goal was when he was playing center. So I think that what that tells me, and even, you know, got a couple of games at at, at playing fourth-line center in the playoffs— and, he, I mean, I guess he was okay. And, and if he's not going to be a scorer, that's that's what he's going to – I guess that's that's it. That's that. If he's not going to be a scorer, then whatever. He's not going to be a scorer. But he did show a nice little scoring touch early in his career, and he scored a nice scoring touch in the AHL. So he does have it when he's not focused on the middle of the ice. So to me, I don't think he should be a center going forward for this team. they got to find somebody else to, to, to play down the middle – and let him be more effective on the wing where he's more comfortable. Clearly, he's more comfortable there. So to me, he's a nice fourth liner who can kill penalties. I don't think he's the $1.2 million player we thought he was when he signed his extension midway through the year, and now that $1.2 million ticket for a fourth-line winger, considering all the cap implications that are with going on with the Maple Leafs, I don't know if I like that ticket anymore at one point two. Maybe he's somebody who gets moved off. You know, I think they're more so looking like, eh, we find someone at League Men, you know, like maybe eight hundred grand or you know, you know, nine twenty five or something. And you say, oh, it's only a couple, couple hundred thousand. Like, what's that really going to do for the cap? Surprisingly, a lot. <laughs> Surprisingly, a lot. So, but you know what, Pierre Engvall, I thought that he was okay. Um, again, kind of a tale of two halves. Started off hot and then really faded in the second half of the season and even in the playoffs wasn't wasn't great good little penalty killer but uh offensively he he really fell off but i think Pierre Engvall earned a C plus right i think a C plus is probably fair for Engvall and we'll see what ends up happening with him next season All right, welcome back to the Locked On Lease podcast. Let's fire through the rest of these bottom six players. We're going to do Spezza, Freddie the Goat, Kyle Clifford, um, pretty much rounding out the bottom six there. There's a couple other guys that, you know, like Dennis Mulligan, Nick Patan, uh, Nick Shore, I guess, Trevor Moore, who played in the bottom six at points of the season, uh, but didn't really do enough for me to be able to give them grades, I guess. So uh, we're just going to stick with the guys who played for for the most part for the team. Uh, so Jason Spezza, old man Spezzi, first year in Toronto. First year in Toronto after spending many, many, many years as, <laughs> as an Ottawa senator, as a competitor, and as, as a foe of the Maple Leafs for so many years. But he's a Toronto boy, Toronto kid. And I think he always wanted to play here. And 
I think you could tell based on the fact that he ended up signing a league minimum contract to come here to play for one season. And then we'll see what happens over, over the offseason, if they bring him back or not. But how did his season go? Okay, nine goals, 16 assists in 25 games. Not pretty good, actually. Pretty good for, for Spezza. Considering how his career started out here in Toronto, if you guys remember back on night one of the NHL, night one, Toronto Maple Leafs, home opener, announcing the captain, first game of the year against the Ottawa Senators in Jason Spezza's hometown, Toronto, and Mike Backrock scratches him. Scratches him. And gives some bull, bull crap excuse about how, you know, he's got to work on his uh, penalty killing a little bit. He's still not up to up to code on the penalty killing responsibilities. Like what? Are you kidding me? First of all, they're playing the Ottawa Senators. I don't think you're gonna have to be worried about their lethal power play. Second of all, they're playing the Ottawa Senators, a guy who played for that team for so many years, one of the greatest sends to lace him up. And it's your his home opener in his home city, his hometown Toronto, his first game, and he gets healthy scratched? Oh, my God. Still still riles me up to this day that Babcock did that. And I think that, that may have been the beginning of the end for Mike Babcock. Like, that may have been Sheldon... Or um, Kyle Dubas, like when that happened, he was like, "Are you kidding me, dude? Like, really? We went out, we signed Spezza. You know, th- it's this great homecoming story, and you're gonna just try and puff your chest out and scratch him just because you think y- you want to have some sort of control over the roster." Anyways, let's get back to Spezza. <laughs> let's get back to his season. Um, you know, this guy who played up and down the lineup a little bit, played some time. Um, you know, fourth line, third line center when, when you know, Tavares went down with injuries. Um, ended up playing kind of, he got some time in the top six as well when when needed to, to fill in. Played on the second power play unit. Uh, had a couple of shootout winners, you know. I think Jason Spezza, he provided a good veteranness uh, for this team, right? And I think at the end of the day, he probably provided a lot more off the ice in terms of a leadership role, kind of like what we lost in Patrick Marlowe, I feel like Jason Spezza filled that role for the Maple Leafs. And, you know, a guy like like Austin Matthews probably could learn a lot from Spezza. And I feel like he did. Right? Like, Matthews' game took a massive leap this year. I don't think it's by accident. Like, Spezza's like having an extra coach out there on the ice. So I think Spezza was a big, big addition to this team. Um, and you look in the playoffs... Yeah, he didn't do anything offensively in the playoffs, but you know the way that he 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 willed the Leafs team back into that game four by willing to drop the mitts and fight. Like that's not what Spezza does, but he understood that was a veteran move, and he understood he needed to wake up that team if they wanted to keep their season alive, and it did. It woke up the team. They went on, tied the game, brought it to overtime, won in overtime. Fortunately, they played even worse in game five so it got them one more game but so be it so we'll see what happens to jason spezza but i give him a b minus on the season so spezza a b minus okay freddie the goat uh seven goals five assists and 12 points 
seven goals, being a career high this year. Played in 61 of the 70 games and then ended up losing his spot in the playoffs. Played just one playoff game and then sat for the remaining four um, in favor of uh, Pierre Engvall and Nick Robertson. Remember, there was that kind of three-way battle for for two roster spots, whether it was between Robertson, Engvall, and uh, Frederick Gauthier. And Gauthier went out on night one and, and ended up in game one, starting the fourth-line center role. Nick Robertson won the third-line uh, winger, and then it was Engvall who was sitting out for the game. And then Engvall went in, the GOAT came out, and Engvall never came back out of the lineup since, and the GOAT never went back in to the lineup. Here's the thing with Freddie for me, okay? He needs to do more, right? Like, you take a look at a guy his size, 66 hits just isn't enough. Like, he needs to play a much more fiercer role on this team. They need a little, they, they, they need a little grit, they need a little size, and he's just someone who can't provide it. Like, he is size. He physically has the demeanor to be somebody who could go out there and be physical out on the ice, you know, inflict some pain on the opponents, lean a little bit on the opposing D, weaken them so that later in the game, guys like Marner and Matthews could come out firing. But no, he he's kind of plays a softer game for a bigger guy. He's kind of a gentle giant of sorts. So Freddie the Goat, there was a lot that was left to be desired for me this season on him. You know, he doesn't kill penalties. He doesn't score. He doesn't really do much of anything, to be quite honest with you. And I wouldn't be surprised if they don't even qualify Gauthier this offseason. They kind of let him walk, right? Like, there's no one left in the organization that has ties to Frederick Gauthier. Like, he was back in, what, Dave? I think Dave Nonis days, the Dave Nonis draft. Or Brian Burke, maybe one of those. One of those two. I can't remember if if Nonis, um, if Burke was still around when they drafted him or not. But one of those two drafted him. Either way, it's not Kyle Dubas, not Brendan Shanahan. So they have no allegiance to Frederick Gauthier, and uh, he's just a guy who I don't know is going to really be beneficial to this team. Can he even make this team? I don't know. <laughs> I give him a D plus. A D plus for Freddie the Goat. He's got to do more. He he was he was extremely, you know, just extremely disappointing for a guy who was a first rounder and set out. He said he wanted to have a better season. He just didn't. Just didn't do it. Uh, totally invisible on a lot of nights. Okay, let's move on to Kyle Clifford. Only played twenty one games in a Maple Leafs uniform. Sixteen games the regular season. 20 or uh, five games in the playoffs coming over from the, tr- the Leafs in a midseason trade along with Jack Campbell for Trevor Moore and some draft picks. So Kyle Clifford was a guy that Kyle Dubas went out and got right. He was a good get for the Leafs. He was exactly what Toronto needed. He has the grit. He had that sandpaper and he gave the Leafs some energy at times, especially in the playoffs you know, I think that he came in, started really throwing his weight around, and it changed. Like in in game two, when he really started to go out there and become a bowling ball out on the ice, it really gave the Leafs some energy, and they went out and they had the best game of their series, maybe even of the season. After that, like he just gave that team some energy. So, I thought that Kyle Clifford, the short time that he spent in Toronto did exactly what he had to do. He's not a guy who's going to go out there and score. 
right? He had one goal with the Leafs, um, you know, one goal, three points in his tenure with the Leafs. But that's okay because it's not what he's expected to do. He's expected to be an energy guy. He's expected to go out there, throw his body around, drop the mitts, you know, and that's exactly what he did. So I liked Kyle Clifford's season with the Leafs. I like what he gave them. I don't know if he's going to be back next year. He is a UFA. And based on what Kyle Duba said last week, essentially saying that most of the guys, if they don't have you locked up by now, you're probably on your way out the door. And that's CC Barry, and Kyle Clifford. We'll talk about CC and Barry tomorrow when we do our defensive grades. But Kyle Clifford, I like what he brought to the table. It was a good get by the Leafs. I hope they bring him back. I think it's going to cost the Leafs a third-round pick, though, to bring him back because there was a condition in there that if he re-signs, I believe next year's third-rounder uh, will will transfer over to the LA Kings. So whether or not that factors into them wanting to bring him back, I don't know. But at the end of the day, I, I hope that the short time they spent with the team uh, with the guys, hopefully some of his winning mentality rubbed off on them and they were able to pick his brain about how to win, how to be successful in the NHL. He's been there. He's got a couple cups. He's made a couple deep runs into the playoffs. Unfortunately, it didn't happen here, but hopefully you know, there were conversations happening off the ice that will help this team going forward next year, the year after that, and the years following. I liked Kyle Clifford. I thought he was a great addition to the team. Thought he played well. He did his role exactly the way that he had to come out and play, giving Kyle Clifford a B on this team. He was a B. A B. Okay. Um, Quickly, just going to give some quick thoughts on what's going on in the Eastern Conference uh, each series, I'll maybe spend like 30 seconds on each, but I do want to just get my thoughts out there of what's going on in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Unfortunately, no Maple Leafs, but still a lot of hockey, still a lot of fun to watch. And I do, I'm just a, an absolute hockey nut. So still watching every single series uh, that's going on. But okay, let's start off with Montreal and Philly. So man, Carter Hart, this dude's playing out of his mind, uh, recording his second straight shutout today. And this dude legitimately looks like he could be the next Carey Price and he could be the next top goaltender in this league. Um, I think he's been absolutely fantastic. And Philly's getting better and better, and they've really shut down Montreal and stymied their remnants of an offense that they somewhat have. They're not the most gifted offensive team, but they've really shut them down. And and Philly uh, up 3-1 as we speak here in the series, and and they're going to go through to the next round. I have no doubts about it. Uh, Tampa and Columbus. Man, wasn't that a... This has been a fun series. I don't care what anybody says. It's been super, super tight, um, super close. Couple overtimes. Obviously, game one going to five overtimes. Jonas Corposalo, although, you know, we now want to hate him because of he basically single-handedly eliminated the Maple Leafs, um, you know, making a record-setting 85 stops in Game 1. Uh, wasn't able to win it, though. But, man, that's been a fun series. And, 
Got to hand it to to this to this Columbus team. You know, I did not give them nearly as much credit. I knew they were going to be a problem going in against the Leafs, but I didn't know they were going to be this big of a problem, not only for the Leafs, but also for Tampa Bay. I just think Tampa Bay was a much deeper team, and they were going to handle them a little bit better, and uh, Columbus giving them just as much fits as they gave the Maple Leafs. But at the end of the day, Tampa currently up 3-1 in their series. I see them also going forward pretty quickly. Boston and Carolina. Man, got to feel for Carolina, no? Don't we feel for Carolina? Listen, right here in Toronto at the Scotiabank Arena, which at the time was called the Air Canada Center. But regardless, at the Scotiabank Arena, James Reimer just collapses in the third period of the playoffs against the Boston Bruins when leading the third period. He, Reimer's going to Reimer. It happened. You know, Carolina up 2-0 in the third period. Eight minutes later, all of a sudden, you're down 4-2. What happened? What is it with James Reimer giving up leads in the third period against the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup playoffs? What is it about this guy? Oh, man. A good series, though. Good series. Uh, Boston up 3-1 in that one now where it seemed like Carolina was going to take a 2-2 tie. Uh, I don't like the fact that Carolina's going with a tandem goalie. They're literally switching out Mrazic and Reimer every other game. Um, Boston kind of buried the lead on this one. Tuka Rask, if you guys didn't know, not playing right now. He decided to leave the bubble. I guess there was a family, um, just for family reasons, I guess he'll leave it at that. So I guess I'll leave it at that. But left the bubble. So Yarrow Halak, now the starting goaltender for the Boston Bruins. Um, so hopefully... Well, I don't want to say hopefully because I never want to see Boston win, but it seems like Boston is probably going to end up winning and Halak is going to lead them to victory into the second round. All right, last one here, the Islanders and the Washington Capitals. And as we speak right now, actually, uh, the Capitals, I think, are up 3-2. I will quickly check that so that I don't speak at a turn here. So I will be correct on this. But the Islanders were up. 2 nothing earlier, and then the Caps stormed back. Yeah, and they won. So the Caps able to stay alive tonight, storming back down two, and get three unanswered to steal a game from the Islanders, and it's now 3-1. And I am shocked that the Islanders are up 3-1. Like, the Islanders, I, I've never given them enough credit. Because I've never once believed in them. Even from the early like earlier this year, I was like, yeah, they're in a playoff spot, but they'll fall out. Didn't happen. They make it to the playoffs. They're up against Florida. Yeah, they made it, but like they got no offense. Like, And I just don't think that that goaltending is going to hold up. Ah, I, I, I just, I, I like Florida. I think Florida's going to win. <laughs> was I wrong? And then here it is, the Washington Capitals. One of the best teams in the NHL. Division winners. Going up against the Islanders. And they win three straight and go up 3-0 on the Caps. And I'm sitting here thinking, what the hell is with this team? Like, what are the Islanders? Are they good? I don't know. They don't have any, like, superstar talents outside of Barzell. 
I mean, Anders Lee's a fine player. Seems like Anthony Beauvillier is having a pretty good season. I like what they're doing defensively. Ryan Pulak, um, I like I like him a lot. Seems like uh, uh, Nick Letty's having himself a pretty good playoffs. You know, Varlamov, they switched the goaltender, and now they've got Varlamov, and they're doing just as good as they did last year with Robin Leonard. So what does that mean? Well, to me, that tells me that Barry Trotz has this team buying in. And it's very similar to what you look at over in Columbus with um, with uh, John Tortorella. You know, two teams that just rely on on some tight, low-scoring games, play defensively, and will just kind of hammer out a nice, low-scoring win. And it seems like that's what they've done so far. Tonight, didn't quite happen. Washington came back and wanted to to keep the series alive, but still... Down 3-0. Uh, not many teams come back from that. So we'll see what happens there. All right. I think that's going to do it for us here on the podcast. Uh, thank you for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Locked On Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms. You receive daily Leafs content. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Leafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. If you want some more hockey talk, be sure to check out the Locked On NHL podcast where myself and four other Locked On hosts discuss what's going on each and every day around the NHL. It's a goodie. You won't want to miss it. Um, I'll be back here tomorrow. We're going to grade the defense now. So all the D are going to be on trial as we grade them on how they did throughout the 2019-2020 season. So be sure to check us out tomorrow. Don't forget it. Um, But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked on Leafs.